what is the value of something? It, it's probably the most important question in everybody's life. Uh, and it starts with what, what is my value that? Uh, self-awareness. Knowing who you are allows you to know your value. Understanding your skill sets and the things that you're willing to work hard and focus on uh, allows you to understand a different type of your value. Um, there's, there's so many things in this world that are just based on perception, awareness, opinion, consensus, right? And that, that all comes down to value, right? Self-awareness is really the value. When you have a conversation with someone and what they're saying captures your attention, it has value because it captured your attention. And really that's all that we have is our attention because that is the thing that is closely related to time. Our time is our value. Our attention is our time. Thus our attention is our value. Okay. Time is a measure of attention. What are you paying attention to throughout your day? Well, if you tweak what you pay attention to throughout your day, typically, as a human being, your behaviors reflect that change in attention. So if you're paying attention to a certain type of information, that information will have an impact on your mind, and that impact on your mind will result in a change in your behavior. If you're paying attention to something else, then that something else will do the same thing. And how does this relate to to anything? What the hell am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the value of stuff in our life partially being discovered through how much attention it takes or how much attention we are willing to give it. And it, it's directly related to what we're experiencing now with the internet and with cryptocurrencies One of the biggest uh, criticisms, complaints, concerns, critiques that I hear about Bitcoin is, well, what is its value? What is it backed by, you know, all of these, all of these variations on, on what I just said? What's it backed by? It's not backed by anything. What's its value? Well, First of all, it's a multi-pronged value. There, there are, if you think of a wheel with a lot of spokes on it, each one of those spokes gives that wheel integrity, which um, means that wheel can handle more weight or go faster or, or, or be a better wheel. Um, and Bitcoin has a lot of spokes. There's a lot of things that you can do with it. And I'm going to use an example, and it's not an all-inclusive example. It's a simple example. It's a, it's a way of thinking example. It's an example that hopefully conveys a principle to you about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, whatever. Um, and that example that I'm going to use is what is, a, what is the value in a deck of cards? Well, the value in a deck of cards is that people... create rules based on the deck of cards. They agree to those rules. They sit down with other people in a building at a table and they adhere to those rules in the form of a game. And typically the thing that makes that game fun is that there is a trade of value attached to that game. Okay? So it's gambling. What makes a deck of cards valuable? Well, it's the gambling. And what is the real value in the gamble? Well, the value in the gamble is that people will enter a building, they'll leave their house, they'll spend money on gas, tire wear, using their car, okay? They will wear clothes, try to look good, and they'll drive to a destination, they'll pay to park their car, they'll walk into the building with their nice shoes, fancy pants, and beautiful suit, dress, whatever they got on. They will buy an alcoholic beverage. They will buy a tobacco product. They will buy food. And they will walk around a casino. 
and they will find a table with other people at it and they will take their hard-earned money and exchange it in the casino for pieces of plastic, little circular chips, right? And then they will sit down at a table with other people, socialize and gamble and compete for other people's chips. Think about that. What kind of value does a deck of cards really have? Well, that's a lot of value. Even though the deck of cards is a $5 deck of cards or whatever, it goes far beyond that because that deck of cards, because of the rules that the people have ascribed to it and reached a consensus on, creates massive behavioral changes in the human species. Creates massive incentives. It's just enough incentive. Let's go have some fun. Let's gamble. And that's one of the spokes of value in cryptocurrencies is it is a deck of cards that people are going to ascribe rules to and they're going to agree to those rules, voluntarily enter into games and try to beat each other. That's the gambling side of Bitcoin. And the gambling side of Bitcoin, it's not just a deck of cards, it's speculation, day trading. It's buying a Bitcoin, hoping the value goes up and then exchanging it for either a dollar, a won, a yen, another cryptocurrency, and then doing it all over again and having fun with that. And what that does is it gets people's minds to focus on Bitcoin or on Binance. If you're on an exchange, KuCoin, you know, even, you can, I guess, even do it on Coinbase. But it gets people to look at a screen, click buttons, follow a certain set of rules, it takes time. It takes attention. And just that alone creates a massive amount of value in Bitcoin. And we've seen that over the, the year of 2017, which I call the year, it's the rise of the exchanges. The rise of the exchanges, right? It's the gamification of cryptocurrencies, simple games of day trading and you know basic gambling. That's given the rise, and that's where Bitcoin peaked at 20,000 in 2017. That's the reason. All gambling, all speculation. No other spoke has been exposed yet or uh, used yet by people. And when I say spoke, I mean how many card games are there in a deck of cards? There's kind of maybe infinitely many potential types of games you can play with a deck of cards. But what's the thing that makes a game a game? It's the agreement on a subset of rules by a sufficient amount of people who are willing to pay attention and follow those rules with other people and put something on the line. Not just their time and attention, but a represent a tangible representation of that time and attention, which is usually a, some form of currency, money or whatever. They exchange the money for chips. You know, when I was a kid, I used to do gambling with like pennies. Me and my friends, we would play a little poker with pennies. It doesn't have to be a lot, but it took our attention. It occupied our time. It brought us closer together and we had fun. We were entertained. And so the value wasn't winning 50 cents. You know, the value is in the camaraderie, the entertainment, the learning how to communicate, the uh, learning how to follow rules, the avoiding the temptation to cheat. That was the real value there. It wasn't the 50 cents that you win. And so you've got to think about these exchanges, the year of the exchanges, the rise of the exchanges. These exchanges represent a time trade. They represent value because people are spending time on them. And so what is Bitcoin backed by? What's it backed by? It's backed by the fact that people are willing to pay attention to it, and that's what gives it value. Now, now there are some mathematical laws that have attracted people to it. Like, for example, a deck of cards wouldn't be a deck of cards if on both sides of the card it revealed what card it was. You gotta have one side that's a conceal side, right? The other side is the revealed side. So when I look at my Ace of Diamonds, Nobody else knows I have it. 
Okay, so that's an important element. Cryptocurrencies uh, are not backed uh, are, are backed by mathematical laws that allow us to maintain privacy. They allow us to be sure that the rules that we're agreeing to are followed. Okay, they're tokens. Crypto, uh, you know, a Bitcoin is an access token. All right, and it allows you to enter into. Uh, smart contracts. Now, we're not in the rise of the smart contract age yet. And that's what's coming up next. It'll be tied to things outside of the exchanges, but the exchanges are the infrastructure that are going to allow us to have the rise of the smart contracts. And when the age of smart contracts comes up, which is, I, I believe... Maybe 2018, maybe 2019. Look, 2018 could be a stagnation year where we see some ups and downs and we see some some new technologies be announced. We see some new technologies be tested and proven. And until certain things are tested and proven, and smart contracts are not simple, they're difficult because they have to be done correctly. So we're in a very construction period right now where platforms here a platform that you can look at is ether party it is a smart contract platform and it's going to create a marketplace for smart contracts and so the exchanges will give people a way to get into bitcoins uh, cryptocurrencies and bitcoin uh, they'll allow you to say hey i have a bitcoin i'm going to put it on the exchange and i want to split it up into multiple different cryptocurrencies and these multiple different cryptocurrencies are going to allow me to enter into a variety of smart contracts and those smart contracts are going to pretty much be anything people want. And I'll give you a quick example. If I want to, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me, let me, before I give the example, let me say this. The age of smart contracts is gonna start off in three categories. And this is a guess, I'm not Nostradamus, this is just an observation. And I could be wrong, but I think, I think, I think I'm on to a little bit of something here. Remittances. It's a very practical use case for cryptocurrencies is sending money anywhere in the world instantaneously for basically nothing. Okay. And there's going to be smart contracts applied to that. And those smart contracts are going to be tied into, uh, like I sent somebody some Bitcoin cash and they need to get that money in and they need to make sure that they're the ones that get it and that they can exchange it. And so there's going to be stuff like that. It's really peer-to-peer, but there will be smart contracts attached to that uh, in the form of, um, like, let's say I have a 1000 bucks and I want to send it to four people, but I want to send it to one person, and then that person can send it to the four people and everybody can agree to it. There's going to be some simple smart contracts for the peer-to-peer cash systems. Those are simple. I think remittances are, are already happening, and those will be the ones that will uh, happen first a set of smart contracts for that. The next thing is going to be gambling, not just uh, trade gambling, but um, sports gambling, um, weather gambling. And I think if you look into prediction market app, uh, uh, dApps, decentralized applications uh, like Gnosis and Golem and um, those kinds of things, you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about when those apps come out and start becoming active. You're going to be able to start gambling on events and, and predicting things. So it's it's not traditional gambling. It's not like just buying a lottery ticket or rolling a dice or uh, or playing poker. All those all those things will definitely use cryptocurrencies. I don't know when, uh, but they will. There will be these decentralized poker games, and it'll be the engine that they run on. So maybe the user interface will look different on your phone if you're playing a poker on your phone, but the back end will be uh, cryptocurrency based and it'll make sure that the game's rules are adhered to. And so the gambling applications are going to be massive. And once people are able to gamble with cryptocurrencies and then easily exchange them for their own currency, which is the whole point of these exchanges, the rise of the exchanges are entry points, but they're also exit points. They're going to allow people to get into crypto, get out of crypto. And that's healthy. That's freedom, right? We can't just look at cryptocurrencies and say, oh, it's better. Everybody has to do it. That's bullshit. Like, I don't believe in that. That's not the way I think the world should be. Look, if cryptocurrencies are going to take over fiat and blah, 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 
it'll happen over time. It'll be natural, and that'll be the healthiest way for the market to develop. And then the other thing, uh, the third category we have remittances, we have gambling. And the other category, I've talked about it before, it's going to be some form of pornography or webcam modeling, something like that, some sort of like sexual, uh, some sort of exchange for a, a sexual video or picture or whatever. And even fantasy type relationship type things. Um, it's a little strange, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, it depends on how old you are and how you view relationships and all that. And I kind of, I sort of, I do relationships how I do them. You know what I mean? I, I have my way. Everybody has their way. And it's really none of my business what people, you know, do with their mind in that space. And so I don't have the judgment. But I do believe we're going to start seeing, like, virtual girlfriends actually, like, be a thing. Like, not even a, a weird thing. Like, just that's the way it's going to be for a lot of people. Um, and I think it's going to be done through cryptocurrencies because they're private. Uh, I think initially it'll be embarrassing for people and now they're going to be able to find a way to do it in private um, and protect their identity and they'll be able to do it without the meddling of uh, their friends, their family, you know, banks, governments. It'll just be an easy way to engage in that type of sort of sexual behavior or practice. But that's why it's going to have value. Because people are going to set up rules or smart contracts. And enough people are going to spend their time within those sets of rules. And then the exchanges are going to give us entry and exit points. So we're going to be able to put it into fiat currency. The other thing is uh, things like Amazon. Things like Overstock.com. Uh, once these worldwide companies, these companies who have the ability to sell products and distribute products, ship products worldwide, once people start seeing, oh, I can use my Bitcoin for that, and I don't have to exchange it into fiat if I don't want to, then we'll see massive, massive growth in the, quote, market cap, unquote, whatever that really is. I don't think market cap is the best final metric for cryptocurrencies. I think it is what it is for now. And it makes sense. Um, and so that's the value of this thing is that it takes people's attention. People are willing to spend their time on it. That's the ultimate form of value. Look, the only reason money has value is because people have made the decision that they don't want to mow their lawn anymore, okay? I don't want to mow my lawn. So I'm going to use this piece of paper, and I'm going to get somebody to do it for me so that I can go watch the football game. Like, people talk about the U.S. dollar is backed by the military or the government. Look, the military and the government are an extension of the United States citizenry. They're an extension of the population. They work for the citizens. They really do. Now, they have more power than individual citizens, and they have more ability to kind of do stuff, right? Resources and all that. And they enforce laws, and all of that stuff is incredibly important. And so I'm not saying the citizen is more powerful than than the military or the government, but the, the government is made up of citizens. The military is made up of citizens, and so we have to stop thinking about it as like this magical secret power that's flying around us, manipulating everything. It's just a bunch of rules that we've set up over hundreds of years that have ended up kind of being the ones that stuck. That's all our laws are. The government is made up of citizens. The military is made up of citizens, some good, some bad. Um, but the US dollar, it's not, okay, it's backed by the government, it's backed by the military. But it's backed by the citizens primarily. If people decided to grow their own food, okay, and mow their own lawns, and they stopped exchanging dollars, the dollar would not be worth anything. But people are deciding to use their time, energy, and talents 
to work in exchange for dollars instead of using their time, energy, and talents to build a house and grow their own food. You see what I mean? And so the US dollar is backed by the behavior of the citizens. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies are backed by the behavior of the citizens. It's the same game. And eventually, here's the thing, eventually people will realize that cryptocurrencies are more secure. They're more reliable. They're more versatile. And they're faster. So eventually what will happen is the same thing with email. People will start sending more cryptocurrencies than regular mail. And they'll start communicating more. They'll start exchanging value more. Okay? Email is the exchange of info. People have been exchanging info at uh, exponential rates because of email and text messages and all these different digital communicative modalities. And the same thing will happen with money, but it'll be in the form of cryptocurrency. It doesn't mean the dollar's going away. It never meant that. Why do we want dollars to go away? We don't. Who cares? These are, these are individual choices. Just because we have gay marriage in America, it doesn't mean heterosexual marriage goes away. It just means some people want to do it like that so they can. And so that's the underlying thing is it is backed by the value of behavior. It is backed by attention. It is backed by the time that people are willing to spend within these cryptocurrency websites. And let's just call it cryptocurrency behaviors. Um, Why there's controversy surrounding crypto is because People have been talking about the price of Bitcoin and what's a Bitcoin worth and this and that. And they they haven't really seen, uh, they've only seen a very tiny percentage of what it actually is. And so anytime someone tries to explain the price of Bitcoin as 10,000 a Bitcoin, 20,000 a Bitcoin, you know, you're talking about one small part of it that is nowhere near a a sufficient explanation of the value. Price and value are quite different. You know, the price of a shovel might be $20, but the value of the shovel, it shit might might save your life. You know what I mean? You got a shovel and you need a shovel and that shovel saved your life. It's worth more than 15 bucks. It's worth more than a hundred bucks or whatever. It's invaluable. You can't place a value on certain things. And so the exchanges dictate the value based on people's buying and selling behaviors or dictate the price based on people's buying and selling behaviors, but the exchanges don't dictate the value. People's behavior surrounding it dictate the value. And you want to see price action? Well, just wait until smart contracts rise. Wait till we have the rise of smart contracts and there's a marketplace of smart contracts. And these marketplaces of smart contracts are going to illustrate to people in a very simple, easy to use way how to apply cryptocurrencies in their business, in their life, in their entertainment. You see what I mean? And once that happens, then we're going to see, if you want to think about the price, we'll, we'll see a price increase from that. But you can't expect price increases to be 100% based on speculative behaviors because there's only a certain amount of people in the world who understand that, are willing to risk it, have the time, have the extra money, and who are gamers like that. It's kind of where, these are like the gamers of the finance industry at this point. These are the entrepreneurs, these are the risk takers. So keep that in mind. It's it, The value of Bitcoin is in the fact that people are willing to spend their time learning about it, trading it, talking about it, looking at a screen, making clicks and points. You see what I mean? So it's all based on human behavior. And we're only looking at a small percentage of the potential within these cryptocurrencies because they are software platforms that you're going to be able to attach to a lot of stuff. And once we see the next wave, which I'm telling you, it's the rise of the smart contracts. It's the key to the game here. You're going to see a jump in price. Congratulations. If you're patient enough. But the rich, the, the best way to get wealthy with cryptocurrencies is not going to be to buy a bunch of Bitcoin and sit on it. It's going to be to understand how to use it. And that's kind of some of the stuff we'll, we'll talk about as these products come out. We're right at the cutting edge. We're right at the cutting edge. We're riding the wave. 
I'm making a podcast right now. No way. What is a tech vegan? Now, I haven't heard anybody else refer to themselves as a tech vegan. It's kind of a thing that I call myself. I don't know if I came up with it. I'm just not sure. I had never heard it before. So I'm not trying to claim any originality here. I do not care about originality. I'm kind of whatever. But I do want to clearly define what I, you know, am calling myself here as a tech vegan. People say, well, what is that? What does that mean? Well, what it means is when I listen to the vegan argument, you know what, let's cause the least amount of harm. Let's not kill animals and sentient beings and cause suffering so we can eat meat. I I don't have an argument against it. I can say, well, historically, human beings may have evolved because they ate meat, meat, therefore we should continue to eat meat, whatever. But that does not solve the ethical and moral dilemma that these people are bringing in to the consciousness of humanity. And it's a pretty serious argument because I know people who genuinely believe that the life of an animal is equivalent to the life of a human. And if someone believes that, we have a serious issue. Because Jeez. because you can't get around that. You can't argue it. It's not based in rationality and we're living in our lives on a vastly different experiential and emotional level. And the other thing that I think about is technology. So the vegan argument, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and go back and forth with somebody who looks at an animal like they look at a people in terms of let's not slaughter, torture, and eat their fucking meat. I'm not going to argue that because, okay, that's kind of, okay, I can respect that. On the other hand, I'm not going to argue with somebody who has been living a certain way and doesn't want to change. I mean, how do you get people to stop eating meat? It's way too ridiculous. We would have a war. We'd have a war. So I look at this as a issue of potential violence. And I'd like to come up with a solution so we don't have this violence. And truthfully, it'd be great if there was a solution so we don't have to fucking talk about it anymore. Because I'm genuinely sick of talking about it. Because you get one side saying one extreme position, the other side goes to the other extreme, and it's stupid. And then there's no common sense, there's no rationality. And when those things are gone, solutions don't exist outside of the realm of violence. And we don't want to fight over food preferences. It's it, it, it's just not something we want to get into. At least, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to see that. And I'm being a little extreme, I'm being a little bit creative, and you know maybe it's not quite there, but bear with me here. There is a viable solution that is just around the corner and that scientists are currently working on. And the solution is 3D printed meats from stem cells or lab, I should say, uh, maybe not 3D printed, but lab grown meats that are grown from the stem cells of a cow, a chicken, a fish, or whatever other animal that people currently eat. Now, the reason... The reason that people don't identify or relate or go vegan... Let's think about that. Well, the number one reason that people don't go vegan is because they like what they're currently eating. They like to eat hamburgers and steaks and chicken and fish and sushi and whatever else and they're not going to stop and if they were going to stop all you'd have to tell them is oh look at how animals are killed and they would stop and they don't it's not going to work people have tried that for a long time and if you are a vegan and you are an animal rights activist and you protest I support you I support your right and I agree with you so I'm not arguing that but what I am saying is maybe that energy that we're putting into protests and arguments Uh, could be put into another modality of convincing. And the other modality of convincing is economics. 
you know, and you may say, eh, that's shallow, it's not all about money. Well, you know, of course life isn't all about money, but money is a massive tool for incentive. Now hear me out. If you're able to take the stem cells of a cow and make a steak that is qualitatively indistinguishable from a slaughtered steak or a current way we get steak, and you put it in front of people who eat steak and they cannot tell the difference between the two, and then they discovered that the stem cell grown steak is significantly cheaper, more cost effective, has a longer shelf life, less risk of food poisoning, and it's not as detrimental to the environment as a slaughterhouse is. What choice do you think most people are going to make? Not everybody, but what choice will most people make? They're going to take the more cost effective, safer, product. That is how human beings behave. It's all about resource conservation. We all, no matter how much money you have, you don't want to pay more for something if you don't have to. And you're most definitely not going to pay for something that is an inferior product that costs more. Nobody's going to go out and pay $150,000 for a gas guzzling SUV when they can go get an, a Tesla that's way better or some other electric car that's way better that costs way less and uses less resources. You know, making the assumption that these vehicles are equivalent um, or that the electric vehicle is better. It just wouldn't make sense. Almost everyone's going to choose the better product that costs less and has less liability. And so that's, that is the direction I think we have to head. And that's why I call myself a tech vegan because I am for people eating, number one, whatever they want. Freedom is everything. And my freedom is everything. And once you start trying to screw with people's freedom, it's too expensive. You can't effectively change people's diets without enforcing it with violence. And the reason we are going to have a problem enforcing animal rights is because all of a sudden, how many people are in America? 300 something million. How many police officers does it take to police 300 million people to, to comply with our current set of laws? Well, it takes X amount. Well, all of a sudden, if you make animals equivalent to people and you give them the rights, it's just too resource uh, expensive. It costs too much to be able to enforce that. And so that's why this animal rights argument can't win. And it doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means how do you win an argument that nobody can afford to pay for? Because we are tied to resources and energy usage and all of those things. You don't win that argument, you lose that argument, and then you get frustrated. We've got to work around the economics in the situation. And the way you work around the economics in this situation is you attack it with an economic uh, weapon. And that weapon is a safer food product that is less expensive and that is qualitatively indistinguishable. And that's why I support Memphis Meats and all the stem cell meat companies that are creating lab-grown food products. Because if we come to market with a product that's equal, less expensive, and less liability of getting food poisoning and those kinds of things, game over. The majority of people will become effectively vegan. And you can't make the argument, well, you're still eating flesh. I don't care. I don't care if people are eating... I mean, who gives a flying fuck? It is... It is hypocritical to say that, oh, we shouldn't eat that. And don't start the health arguments because human beings are well adapted to pretty much eat anything and survive. And there are a lot of people who do much better on eating animal products. And that's a fact. And if you look at our digestive system, look at the way our teeth are shaped, look at the historical record, study anthropology. We've got to be intellectually honest if we're going to truly make a difference in the world. And that intellectual honesty suggests that not everybody's going to be okay on a plant diet or a vegan diet at this point. So what we have to do is we have to use technology to create an alternative that people are going to stick with that is what I call effectively vegan. And a stem cell grown piece of chicken is not a slaughtered piece of chicken. That chicken didn't suffer. There's no problem in that category. It's just a piece of meat grown in a lab, nothing killed. And that's why I'm a tech vegan because this is what I believe. I believe we need to come up 
with a vegan solution, a vegan alternative that people will actually enjoy, that will actually save people money and help people stay as healthy as possible. And if you're a true vegan, if you really want this slaughter to stop, if you truly believe that, I can't and I haven't yet thought of any rational argument against against these technologies coming out. It's all about economics. Every single behavior in our society as Americans has a tie into economics. It really, really does. Food, clothing, shelter, entertainment, even religion, even, even the God thing. Whatever religion you may have, whatever God thing you may believe in, there's economics involved. Money is always involved because money is what allows us to keep track of our time, hold each other accountable, and manage our expectations appropriately, as well as find the areas where we need to make improvements. Money is a valuable tool because of those things. And so if you're a vegan or if you're not a vegan, it doesn't matter, whatever, whoever you are, think about what I'm saying. First of all, if you're not a vegan, you got to stop hating on the vegan argument because, you know what, there's a point there. There's a really serious, valid point there. And I'm not going to shoot down empathy just because I'm not empathetic. Just because I'm not as empathetic as somebody doesn't mean I have the right to shoot down their empathy and shit on their emotions. And the same token, just because I'm more empathetic than somebody and I see something that they don't, that doesn't give me the right to violate every other human right they have. It doesn't give me the right to try to create a system that hasn't been well thought through and is not uh, sustainable and that's going to have to be enforced with violence. So think these things through. That's anyway. I just want to lay out what the hell a tech vegan is, why I'm a tech vegan. Let me know what you think. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm definitely crazy. Maybe I'm wrong here. Not gonna, you know, I'll admit that I'm crazy. I'm not gonna necessarily say that I'm wrong, even if I'm a little bit right, you know. But look into Memphis meats, look into these stem cell printed, stem cell grown meats. I'm sorry, I always say printed because I'm into 3D printing. But look at these stem cell grown meats and consider that. If you're a vegan, consider that. Consider synthetic leather that's not made from animals. Consider the fact that we can make eggs from stem cells. Consider the fact that we can make leather from stem cells. Consider the fact that pretty much every animal product can be created in a stem cell without harming an animal. And then rethink your position and rethink where you're putting your energy, your, your energy that you're allocating to changing the world. Where are you putting that? Are you trying to convince people to do something they're never going to do and it's going to take a hundred years and it's going to have to be backed by violence to incentivize them to comply or are you putting your energy and pushing a technology forward that is very close to being perfected that's going to give people an indistinguishable food experience or clothing experience or product experience that's not going to cause any harm to animals and that's going to save them money you're going to argue people into agreeing with you or are you going to incentivize them through economics to agree with you? I know the answer. Look at history. Anyway, think about that. That's what a tech vegan is and that's why I'm a tech vegan. Let's change the world. Let's make it better. But let's stay realistic and let's respect each other's rights. And let's not throw a system together that resorts. It's going to have to resort to violence. I have to be honest with everyone about something. You know, honesty is one of those things that I think people talk about a lot, but it's not applied in our daily life, or it's not applied practically by enough of us, including myself, uh for us to really, really, really respect the power of it. And the topic that I'm going to just quickly and briefly discuss here is a scientific topic. And it's a topic that 
you know, has been under discussion for thousands of years amongst human beings. And it may sound strange, but you're going to have to hear me out for a second here. Is the earth flat or is the earth a sphere? Now, I'm not going to say round because everybody knows the earth isn't round. It's a ball. It's a sphere. But the flat earthers say the earth is flat. Now, I'm going to just clarify. I don't want to bullshit anyone. And I'm not trying to create suspense. I don't believe the earth is flat. I believe it's a sphere. Okay? Um, But I'm going to play nice. I'm not going to disrespect somebody's opinion on a subject because it's not worth my time. And it does no one any good. We can make fun of people if they believe something different, but it's a waste of our time. Why make fun of people for something as nonsensical as that? That's a private opinion. Who cares? If someone believes the earth is flat and they're cool to me, I do not care that they believe the earth is flat. I legitimately don't care. If my wife believes the earth is flat, but she's my wife and she's a good wife and she's cool, why would I give a shit? Why would I argue with her? Who cares? Now, let me explain why I say all this stuff. Number one, it's not worth the argument. Here's why it's not worth the argument. It's not worth arguing with a flat earther. It's not worth arguing with someone who believes the earth is a different shape than you believe it. Okay, that's what I'm going to get at here. That's the point. Whether it's a square, flat, whatever. It's not worth the argument because in 10 years, basically about 10 years, we're all going to be able to get on a plane and fly into space and look at the earth and see what the fuck it is for ourselves. So if there is a scientific answer that is about to be readily available to the general public, why are we arguing about it? Okay? Why are we arguing? If someone told me before the advent of mirrors that I had blue eyes and I argued with them and then someone was like, hey, this scientist is about to invent mirrors and you're going to be able to see for yourself, I wouldn't argue about it, right? I'll be able to see for myself. And so this is one of those things that, you know, really scientific people, Neil deGrasse Tyson, all these people that I have a massive, massive, massive amount of respect for and I'm humbled by, they clearly have a grasp on that level of science and they can clearly say, no, actually it's a sphere and here's the reasons why. Well, guess what? I don't know science that well. I didn't spend that much time doing science and I can't write out the equations. I can't mathematically prove it from scratch. So I'm not going to try to parrot what someone who's really, really, really specifically intelligent in this category says about it. Okay? It's not worth my time. I don't know that math that well. I don't know physics that well. I've never been to space and looked down at it with my own eyes. And then the other reason is, who gives a shit? It does not make a difference. I won't not set my alarm clock in the morning. I'm still going to work. I'm still going to be as good of a person as I can be to everybody, no matter what they believe about the shape of the fucking earth. I really don't care. 100% do not care. Makes no difference. I'm still going to want to sleep with my wife. I'm still going to want to eat the food that I want to eat, I'm still going to want to work out, I'm still going to want to watch and be entertained by the stuff that I watch and am entertained by currently. Makes no difference. Don't argue about stuff that science and technology is about to provide a first-person answer to, a first-person experience, experiential answer to. So if you believe the earth is flat and you're vehement about it, and you want to argue with people about it, stop. Spend the next 10 years legitimately learning the fundamentals of high-level mathematics and science and physics. And then get on a plane. Maybe it'll cost a thousand or five thousand dollars. And I'm sure Elon Musk will invent something soon. Get on that SpaceX Earth orbit flight and see for yourself when it's available and shut the fuck up and if you believe the earth this is a sphere respect that's what I believe 
Stop arguing with flat earth people. They just want to argue about stuff. They just want to argue about stuff. And most of them don't understand. Like, when I say most of them, like, a super most of them, like 90 plus percent, there's no way they can even convey and prove mathematically any of the stuff that they're saying. It's just a simple lesson in life. If you don't understand the system of proof to the argument that you're making, don't argue about it. Make a suggestion. Make a suggestion. Say, hey, you know, what about this? People might laugh at you because of it. It doesn't mean you have to like pretend that you know what you're talking about after watching a four-hour documentary on a bunch of shit that you don't understand. Like, know what's going on. Like, your time's got to be more valuable in another category than that. Or if you're going to watch the documentaries and you're going to try to do it, like, be intellectually honest about it and take 10 years to study that shit and master it and get a degree and peer-reviewed and, you know, write a thesis. Like, be legit. Stop wasting my time talking to me about how, like, the devil wants you to think the earth is a pizza or, or the earth is a basketball when it's really a pizza or, or whatever stupid fucking metaphor you're going to give me. I don't want to hear it. We're going to find out. Let's take that flight together. We'll charter a flight together and we'll fly into space and we'll be able to look down. And you know what? If it's flat, congratulations. You win the most retarded argument of all time. You win the argument that literally means nothing. You win an argument. You can come back down to earth and pop champagne and scream that the earth is flat while your life remains exactly the same and nobody's going to care start a blog start a podcast start a youtube channel brag about it see if you get enough views for it to be worth it probably not i don't know but i'm just saying there's a lot of stuff that people people argue about that technology is about to or could in their lifetime provide an answer to Start recognizing those situations and those arguments and, you know, avoid them. So, what exactly is a favorite color? I mean, there, there are things that we can do in this world that are very positive and have a positive impact on people and humanity and are beneficial and make people happy, right? Um, and then there are things that are a waste of our time and energy. When someone, you know, asks me what's my favorite color, and I, I look back and I remember these instances and moments where I was interrogated about you know which shade of light I prefer to look upon and I don't have an answer for that because I don't know what my favorite fucking color is I legitimately don't have a favorite color I I like color I like colors and I've never seen a flower in bloom that I didn't think was beautiful. Like there's no such thing as a as a healthy flower, you know, you know, that's bloomed that isn't fucking amazing to look at. What the hell is a favorite color? And who came up with the concept of a favorite color? And then worse than that, who thought it was a good question to ask somebody? What's up? Uh, so uh What's your favorite color? Which version of light do you like to look at best? I mean, what's the, what's the point? I say blue, they say red. All of a sudden, we have a fight. All of a sudden, we've got a reason to hate each other. Well, they like that part of the color spectrum more than that part. And there's no significance to it, but I hate them no matter what. It's just a reason to hate each other. Like, favorite? Like, this color is superior to that color. Now, I can see, like, you could have 
momentary favorite colors like wow that sunset has an orange and pink hue to it I've never seen a pink like that I think that's my favorite color right now like there's a momentary instant instantaneous thing it's like what's your favorite food well my favorite food is the food that I'm eating when I'm hungry that's my favorite food well what's your favorite food I, I like pizza I like pizza I just want to eat pizza nothing else and if you don't like pizza go fuck yourself I don't have a favorite food I like food and I like a lot of different kinds of foods equally for a lot of different reasons like I like some foods because I know when I eat it I'm doing something that I'm putting something in my body that my body needs and it's going to make my life better not because it gave my tongue an uncontrollable spasmatic you know salivatory explosive orgasm and I'm drooling down my neck you know Like, that's not the reason I like food. Like, taste is good and it's important. Um, But it's not the only thing. It's like, oh, it's got to be really sweet or buttery. I'm not going to eat it. Like, well, not necessarily. Like, what about, like, how it affects your body? You know? Favorite food? Favorite color? I don't know. I just don't, like, where is this concept of favorites? What impact does it have on people? Well, it's an easy way to divide us for absolutely no valuable reason. It's not like, oh, well, those people, you know, they rape children, so we're going to keep them over here, away from the children, in cages, so they can't get to the children. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, these people over here, they don't like green that much, so fuck them. Oh, you're wearing purple? I I like the Celtics because it's green. Like, like the whole color thing, like, how about just really liking color and finding colors that, like, look really cool together and make you feel good, but, like, not getting overly attached to one or two colors to the point where, like, you have to express your color fetish to everybody and argue about it and secretly be mad at people if they don't like blue and, like, not deal with your own issues in your life because you're spending time secretly being angry at people because they don't agree with the like the part of the color spectrum that you think is superior why even have favorites it doesn't even make sense I I don't know like I said am I crazy yes I'm crazy am I extreme yes I'm extreme but I don't know think about it tell me what you think